Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Overflow. That's an overflow of church. We're going to talk about overflow of generosity this morning, what that means. We've been talking about what it means to have a life of faith. We've been looking at the nature of faith over the past couple of weeks. We've looked at the way that faith starts with thinking, leads yourself to a a decision that eventually completes itself in commitment, that faith is grown through testing by God, that all of life's hardships are actually examinations to test you and to grow your faith. Then we've also seen last week that the people of faith are able to hypostand. They're able to stand firm when the current, the river of life, pushes against them because there is something deeper and more solid than that which is observable. And now we get into the more positive end of the spectrum when we talk about faith. And one thing that we do see of people of faith, one way that you will know that you're a person of faith, is that there is an overflow of generosity in your life. People of faith are always characterised by an overflow of generosity. Look at what Emperor Julian of the Roman Empire said back in 360 AD. He said, Why do we not observe how the benevolence of Christians to strangers has, has done to most advance their cause? For it's disgraceful that the impious Galileans, Christians, support not only their poor but ours as well, while everyone is able to see that our own people lack aid from us. And so it's a great truth that sociologically Christianity exploded through the countryside, not so much from teaching and preaching the word, although that happened, but it it exploded through the countryside because people saw deeds of generosity. It overflowed from them. And so people of faith are characterized by generosity. Here's what it is, the pervasive giving away of things of value in your life. And so here is, the great, here is the great promise for you this morning. If, if God does his work, if Sam's researched well and I've preached well this morning, here is the promise for you this morning. Here's what is available to you this morning. You're going to be able to leave this place with a full heart and an empty wallet. Why do, we, why do we flinch? You know, someone might be visiting this morning and go, oh, great, of all the churches to search on the internet, I had to come to one of those ones. I'm sort of stirring you a little bit. Why do we flinch at that? Uh, why, why, does that why does that get us initially? When we talk about money, it's, it's like you go for a re- remedial massage. You, it's like the, the masseuse of pressed in. It's, oh, I didn't realise that that knot existed there in my life. Isn't it funny? You always seem to press in when you talk about money and generosity and you flinch a little bit. I think it's because, look, when I see the amazing people of God and I talk about Northside here when I see that, that it's often not so much an issue that we give away our money or that we're generous. It's always an issue of how much. That we want to give away things of value in our life, but we struggle to, right? Have you ever felt that? It's, It's like we... The issue before us is that we don't see clearly the big picture of it all and it's almost like a smoke haze has descended on our life that's sourced in a fire that's far deeper and far further away from the issue. You come to an appeal, you come to a moment where you need to give to someone in need and it, it grabs you. I've, I've shared with you, right, my little Zaki, the moment uh, a couple of months ago when We'd given him a couple of bucks to play one of those alligator bopping games at the arcade and he got 15 tickets out of the machine 
And he held on to them so tightly that his little sister Adele wanted some at the back of the car. And the minute she wanted some, he said, no, they're mine. <laughs> and like any parent, we're like, buddy, big fella, like who gave you the $2? Who was the one who, took you, who drove you down there in the car? Who gave you the money? Who helped bop all the other alligators so you got 15 tickets instead of two? The least you could do is give a ticket or two to your little sister. The Bible calls you to be a person of generosity. And we say, it's mine. And God says, big fella, little one, sweetie, you've, who gave you the brain that allowed you to think the way you think and the education that you've had? Who placed you in Australia and not in Zimbabwe somewhere? Who gave you the opportunities that have been before you? Who orchestrated all the things in your life to allow you to be at the place that you be? You see, we, we try to, and we're struck by a dynamic that I call enlightened self-interest. Enlightened self-interest. And, and here's the way it goes, is that yes, we're generous. This is how it operates in my life. We're generous. We want to give things away. But, but we, we give away in the, in the same way that, that I turn around and say, Zach, give yourself, a, your sister, a ticket. And it goes one of two ways. Either does it because he feels that he has to, or he thinks, look, if I do this now, then dad will give me something better later on, if I'm a good boy. And I believe that as we grow up and, we're, and kids are just as smart as us as adults, right, with our generosity, we treat God in the same way. It's enlightened self-interest. On one hand, it could be because the appeal comes at church, and rest assured, it's not this morning, it's okay. <laughs> See everyone's shoulders just drop then? Oh. Oh, I have to, and I know that I should. And I know that God calls me to do that. And so I know that I should. It's an enlightened self-interest. I'll, I'll do it because I'm called to do it. Or I'll do it, you know, because I believe that God's going to bless me. If I'm a good boy, if I'm a good do- girl, God will bless me. And it's an enlightened self-interest. We hold on to these things. Now, one of the other realities, if we hold on to these things in our lives and we're not generous, I don't know if you've found it, but I've found that people around you that are self-interested and hold on to those things, they don't seem to have bigger lives, they seem to have smaller lives. They haven't discovered the paradox that when you find that you're able to enter into the discipline of giving away things of value into your life, it's weird, isn't it? But somehow your life gets bigger. It expands, it's richer, there's more. And on a day like Mother's Day, you're thinking, well, give me an example. How does that work? What does that look like? <laughs> There's no better example of how life gets bigger when you give away things in your life than, than, than mums. <laughs> because here's what generosity is. Generosity is the indiscriminate giving away of things of value in your life. The way I'm going to frame it up this morning, it's the indiscriminate giving away of three things that we'll learn this morning. It's in the passage. The indiscriminate, it's an indiscriminate openness with your love, your lifestyle, and your loot. <laughs> and indiscriminate, see, generosity, giving away things of value, it could be a whole range of things. It's not just money, as Catherine said, it's not just money. Some people don't have a lot of money, but they're incredibly generous things. It's the giving away of these currencies. Currency is the transfer of something of value. The giving away of a currency in your life, the currency of love and of lifestyle and of loot. And so you want to see how that works. Look at a mum. That's what good mums do. Hopefully you've experienced that. But here's the first thing that we see in this passage, that 
that generosity is the indiscriminate giving away of love towards strangers. A person of faith will love strangers. We see it in Hebrews 13 verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now the, the Greek word for hospitality there is really just one, one word that explains a whole sentence, philozenia. Philo mean a, a form of love. Philadelphia's brotherly love. Philozenia is like xenia, the, the word for, it's like the word xenophobic, which means stranger. It's the love, actually, of strangers. Hospitality is the love of strangers. Now, there is no better example of someone who learns to love a stranger than a mum. That moment when childbirth happens and this little bundle of joy comes into your life, you don't, you don't know that thing. <laughs> You've just met it. It's five seconds old. There's something supernatural in it, but you, you, you know that you're supposed to love it and, and you will love it and you do love it, but it's, it's an infant love. It's a small love. It's a seed of love, right? It's, it's the love of a stranger, a, a foreigner that's come into your life. Look, I, look, here's an even better example of the way that this dynamic works. And that is the love of a step-parent. Not just a stepmom, but a stepdad. A good stepmom and a stepdad is the ultimate example of philozenia when you see that they come in and they, and a good stepmom and a good stepdad, they embrace the child. They direct their love towards this complete stranger in such a way that there is a hope that one day they will become and feel like their own family. What the Bible gets at is for us to be a generous people as a church is that you take that same dynamic that you meet someone who's radically different from you in this setting and you so direct your love towards them in the hope that one day they will become part of your own family. That's the promise of how close you can get and how powerful this love is. And so that's what the Bible is getting at. In fact, you see a case study in Acts chapter 20. Here's what I was talking about, about sending people out. Uh, Paul in Ephesus is sent out, he goes down to the seashore to get onto the boat with the Ephesian elders and you have this picture of a bunch of grown men kissing each other and crying. Jesse, lucky we didn't go that far this morning. <laughs> crying as they send him off again. You know, you know how long Paul was in Ephesus for? Three years. Three years and you have a bunch of grown men kissing each other and crying when they leave? I mean, three years. It takes about three years to get blokes just to share their feelings for the first time. <laughs> in any ordinary church. And yet here we have this dynamic where, where they're crying. So powerful is the love of strangers that they become part of the family. Such is the power of philozenia. And so let me cheekily push you about it this week. But here's the thing. Um. What, what, if, what if a new mother was as closed off to loving strangers as some Christians can be to other strangers in the church world? What, what would happen to the child? How would they grow up? And we know all too well in church life that many people can come in, float around, walk back out the door and, and not have been engaged by anyone and yet the Bible calls us, it says, that if you are generous, not even talking about money yet, are we? If you're generous, it will be a love towards strangers. An indiscriminate love, no matter what they look like, no matter who they are, in the hope that one day they're going to be part of your own family. You'll cry over them. 
You'll want to kiss him goodbye. Such is the promise. Here's the other thing that we see in terms of the indiscriminate openness of people of faith. There's an indiscriminate giving away of your lifestyle. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3, it says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, this is a bit obscure. This is like the application before the point. Uh, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, and you have to understand the context of Hebrews, is that this was a book written to Christians who are under harsh persecution. Uh, Christians were being sought out. It's no different from, say, Christians in Syria, Syria at the moment. They were being sought out. They were being hunted down. They were being tortured. They were being thrown into prison. And so to go out and to visit a Christian in, in prison, your fellow believer, was to oust yourself as a Christian. And so what it says here, to be generous in your lifestyle, is to, is to step out of your comfort zone in order to identify with someone who's in a weaker position. To step out and to identify with someone who's in a weaker position. Let's ground it a little bit more. Have you ever noticed this? What makes a good mum a good mum? Here's what I think makes a good mum a good mum. Mums are interruptible. Right? Mums are... Catherine agrees. I've got an amen down here. Mums are interruptible. Mums are sleeping in. And the clock says 4.57am. And they hear over the baby monitor, Mama, Mama, <laughs> Mama. That was this morning, right, hun? <laughs> Mums say, I'm not getting out of bed for anything, particularly when the clock's got a four in front of it. <sighs> Cross go the covers. And they can't help themselves. Or with teenagers. Mum's on the laptop powering through because the report's due to the client and the sales deadline's happening tomorrow. Mum, I'm hungry. Mum, I can't see any noodles in the cupboard. Mum, I can't see any food. I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> Mum's are interruptible. Mum's are interruptible. They're accessible. And they do that because they identify fundamentally whether they are sleeping and they desperately need some more sleep or they are working and they desperately needed to get this out the door that they identify with the one that is weaker. And they, they stop and they drop. And they move to them and they support them. Now, a stranger doesn't come into your life in this context and yell at you, Mummy, I'm hungry. <laughs> but they do yell like that. You might have heard it before. They yell all sorts of phrases at you. They might yell a phrase at you after the service this morning. They yell phrases like, I've just moved to Sydney. I'm new here. I'm going through a really rough time at the moment. I'm not sure where to get help. I need to move. Now, the question is for you, if you're a person of generosity, how do you react in that moment? What do you do? Do you act like a good mum or... It just goes over your head. Because <laughs> to give away your lifestyle is to say that there's, people can sense an openness with you. They sense an openness in your smile, in your physiology, in the way that you act, in the eye contact, in the way that you drop whatever you are doing, not just in this moment here, but in the life that you have. And let's get real here. The real thing of value for many in this place 
In this context, the low and all sure, the real thing of value is not money. And here's what I mean by that. Some, sometimes for some people in this place, the thing of real value is your time. Let's push in a little bit more. Of real value is your emotional space, your physical space. And what the Bible calls us to is, to is to be generous, is to give away of those things which are of value to you. Of course, there are people that are technically generous with their money, but they're closed in their emotional space and their physical space with people. And so the question is for you this morning, if you want to know if you're generous, how interruptible are you? <laughs> how easily do you give away your lifestyle? Now, the third one, the third one, mums do this too. Not only do they give away of their love to a stranger, not only do they give away of their lifestyle, not only are they interruptible, but here's the last thing that mums do. Mums give away their loot. And the Bible calls us to that as well. Verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Mums do this. Mums do this so well. A good mum does this so well. You've seen what they're like. They look in the mirror and they're going, I should really get a haircut. The greys are starting to show through. I've got to get a rinse and a colour. <laughs> but the kids, they could really do with going to swimming lessons. You know, I could, I could really do with a new jacket. And I'm out with the girls and it's going to feel really awkward. But the kids need shoes for school. And mums do this naturally, don't they? They do it wonderfully. A good, a good mum. The question is, do you have to argue a mum into this? You don't have to argue a mum into that. It just flows from them. A good mum naturally reorients her money towards that or someone that is other than themselves. They just naturally seem to do it. And why? Not because they have freed themselves from love. And we misread this first. Free yourselves from the love of money means, I oh, don't love. Don't do this. Pull it back. Pull it back. No, mums don't free themselves from a love of anything. In fact, they overlove something else in order to release their money. In other words, they've found a love that is beyond their money and that is what has freed them to do it, right? They love their little one. They see the joy that it brings. They just want to invest in them and to release them. Ever been there, mums? It just flows naturally. Such is the dynamic that the Bible calls us to as Christians that we would do that too. And so the question is how? Ever thought about how is it that mums do this? How, how is it that, that mums are, are able to love this little stranger so they become part of the family? How is it that mums can, can be in crazy witching hour at 6.13pm at night with two crazy screaming kids and be thinking to themselves, you know, three years ago I was hanging out at the opera bar. <laughs> How is it that they forego the, the, the haircuts in order for the swimming lessons and the shoes? It's because mums understand this dynamic. They have discovered a life. This love has come into their life that is so powerful that it reorients all of their priorities towards a life of generosity. This thing has come in and it takes over. You don't have to think about whether you're going out or not on the Friday night. Of course, you do to some extent. You lament that, but... When, you, when mums are pushed, they, they do this. Now, the Bible talks about salvation, what it means to be a Christian, in very much the same way. 
uses similar metaphors. It says it's, you're born again. The first thing we learn when you become a person of faith is that it is sudden. It is as sudden as a way that the child was not in the world. Now the child is in the world. It's as sudden as you didn't know the love. Now you do know the love almost instantaneously. You can feel it. You can sense it. It's small, but it will grow in you. But you know that something is different and something has changed in your life. And so when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, so powerful is this love that comes into your life that it reorients everything. It should at least. It's sudden. It comes into your life, but it's almost supernatural, isn't it, Christians? It's supernatural. It's the same supernatural feeling as when a mum looks at a child that they can't describe it, but it's powerful. They know in that instant that life has changed. It's, it's almost as if it's a conversion. Mums have almost had a conversion experience. Life will never be the same after this. And as a result, that generosity then just flows. It overflows from who they are. They don't think it. They just do it. So the question for you this morning is, are you generous? How do we, how do we tell? You know, like I said, a child can know of a parent's love and yet still operate out of enlightened self-interest. <laughs> so can Christians. Christians can know, out of, know the Father's love and operate out of enlightened self-interest. We talked about that you give because you think that if you better give, I better give, otherwise mum will get angry. I better give, or on the positive side, mum will give me something for, more. I better give, otherwise God will get angry. I better give, maybe if I give, God will give me something more. A child can always operate out of enlightened self-interest. But the question for us this morning as we finish is, how do I get it right? How do I do it the right way? There's no call here. There's no call to give right now in this morning. I've, I've just turned the microwave on. I'm, I'm just trying to defrost some hearts here. I've got the micro on, on 30% power. I'm just trying to warm you up. Otherwise, we're going to snap something. We're going to hurt something here. We're just applying a little bit of heat, gentle heat, to you this morning. How do you do it the right way? You, you grow up in your salvation, as 1 Peter Two verse two says, "You grow up in your salvation." What does it mean to grow up? I had, I had a, an Arnie, a much loved Arnie, that still got her, Arnie Jude. She's like a second mum to me. In fact, I need to remind me to call her after this, Kristen. I got to call her and say thanks for what she did in my life. I think back to this moment in which I used to hang out with uh, her every school holidays with my cousins, and me and my cousin would have the same routine every holidays. We would badger her for about three days straight to give us ten dollars to go to tilt which was an arcade at the time. So we could have 10 bucks to go play in it tilt all day. And we would hammer her. Honey, Duke, we've got 10 bucks, 10 bucks, 10 bucks. Be in the car the whole time. 10 bucks, 10 bucks, 10 bucks. Can we have 10 bucks, Honey, Jude? Mom, can I have 10 bucks? Whole time in the car, like three days straight. Until eventually she'd give us 10 bucks and we'd go to tilt for the day and play the alligator bopping games. You know, it was only until... Years later, even this morning, I was reflecting upon that, that I, I thought, you know, 20 bucks back then in the mid to late 80s, early 90s, like, that was a lot of money. Arnie Jude didn't come from much. He was from Raymond Terrace up in Newcastle. You know, they sort of, they say in the Bible, Raymond Terrace, can anything good come from Raymond Terrace? You know, like it was a, <laughs> it was, it was a tough neighbourhood. And if you're from Raymond Terrace, we love you, and I pretty much grew up there, so it's all right. But it was a, it was a tough neighbourhood, and it was a tough life. You know, Annie Jude worked at a servo. She worked at the BP. Whole life, 
And I thought all the hours of that standing up behind that counter, and I thought back then, like, what do you earn as an attendant like that? Probably five, six, seven bucks. It's like she had to work an hour and a half, two hours after tax. She had to work for two hours so I could have a couple of hours worth of joy. And as I reflected on this, I, I saw it was, that 10 bucks became so much more than $10, didn't it? That's like work worth, worth a thousand bucks now. Maybe $10,000. I mean, I get to a point where I, I can't put a price on what she demonstrated to me. What's happening? We're growing up. We're growing up. And the deep challenge that we have as Christians is, look, it's not that we're not generous. Church, I am talking to one of the most generous churches in the country, frankly, and I've got the stats to prove it. You know, I've, I've sat with the senior ministers of some of the largest churches around Australia, and we've all put our offering numbers on the table, as ministers do when you get there to say, how's your church going? You know, we have the greatest rate of giving per head. We outstrip just about every other church in the country by a factor of 1.3. We are one of the most generous churches in our movement around the country. So I'm preaching to the choir here. But my my belief in my heart is that God is not calling us to rest in that. We're trying to defrost hearts here because I remember a guy once said, to whom much is given, much is required. I believe that we're going to be a city on the hill for Sydney. I believe that we are going to be the modern day people when the emperors of this world, the people around us, look in and say, take a look at those Northsiders. Can you believe their generosity towards others around them? I mean, they show us up. And I believe that God is calling us to even greater levels of generosity. And don't get me started. When you go and read Luke chapter 11, you look at the way Jesus preaches about generosity. He says, start at 10% and go from there. Ouch. But I believe that we will do it because it's out of hearts that have been thawed for him, that we've seen the love of the Father and what he has given to us. And we grow up in the same way that I see Auntie Jude and I go, that 10 bucks is worth a thousand. We see the love and the grace of the Father and we go, how can we ever pay that back? He put me here. He did this. He crafted me. He created me. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that I have received to be here in you this morning. And to whom much is given, much is required. And so we grow up. A person of faith is someone who's grown up and they look at God the same way that I look at Aunty Jude. I go, what's, what's it cost him? Now, if you struggle with gener- generosity, you just have to ask yourself the question, what's it cost your God to love you? And we see a God who has given us everything in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. What's it cost your God to love you? Now, as we finish this morning, look, I recognize too, not everyone has a good mum. All analogies are imperfect. But there is a truth in this, and there's a passage that I find fascinating for God because we think of him as the big macho guy in the sky. (laughs) How's this for a verse on Mother's Day? Isaiah 66 verse 3. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. God, and he can do it with his motherly love, comfort you. And in his grace, we see what it is that he has done for us. And so, some melted hearts, we're going to take up an offering now. No, just kidding. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) That that woke you up. Morning. You've been asleep. Wake up now. It's okay. It's all right. The bowls are safe. They're out. They're out in the counting room. 
I just needed you to be with me because I want to ask you this question as we finish up this morning. I'm not taking up an offering. We're not taking up an offering. I'm asking this question. What one step can you have in your life this week to move you to a greater level of openness? How can you be even more open with a stranger? Could start this morning. Free coffees for the ladies. You could invite someone to that. You can stop. You can listen. How might you open up your lifestyle this week? Open up your home, not just your four walls. You know what your home is? Your home is is what refreshes you. Your home is what you love to do. How might you open up what you love to do in that precious moment? I know what we're like. How could you open it up to someone who's moved into the area or looking for a friend or needs some, need some comfort? How might you open up your lifestyle? And most of all, how, how might you open up your loot? We see that this is not about preaching to people that need to be more generous. The degree to which we see the Father's love is the degree to which we reorient naturally like a mum our loot into the things that are not for ourself. How might you be more indiscriminately open this week? And When we do, we will become a people. City on the hill, light of the world, so visible to the watching world. We will continue that tradition and power to say that we are people of faith, not by words, but by deeds. Let's pray. Father, we commit this to you and we thank you and we praise you for the blessings that you have poured out upon our lives. I pray for each and every person in this place this morning right now. I pray that you are bringing people to mind. You're making us aware of phone calls that we need to make. Are you going to send us out of here with a physiology that is open, open faces, open places? We're having an awareness now, Father, that you are sending us now in this moment out into the world that we dare to believe that you are already ordaining intersections and relationships with people that, that will come to know you because, as you said, Lord Jesus... Let your good deeds shine before people so that when they see that, they might praise your Father in heaven. We want to be witnesses for you, Father. We've heard and we've been challenged by your word this morning that the only way we're going to do that is by unlocking the generosity that we know that you can grow in our lives. On a morning in which we are celebrating a whole bunch of gorgeous little kids that are worshipping and learning about you down underneath us right in this very moment. Father, I praise you and thank you for the generosity of a faithful few in this place that dreamed one day that they would see what we are seeing now. A whole new generation of 20, 30, 40, 50 kids that are having your word sown into their lives and that are growing up in you, Father. And we thank you for that. We thank you for all that is around us in this place, Lord. This building, every, every piece of it. There, there are people here this morning that that it wouldn't have been possible without them. And I just thank you for a place that has demonstrated and shown this. And so may we be a place that continues to shine that light and beacon of generosity into the city of Sydney, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.